Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We've recently concluded our 90 Days New series and reading plan, and we are venturing into 12 weeks of Torah reading. The 12-week Torah will cover the first five books of the Bible. And in our last episode, we looked at an introduction to the Torah. And today we're going to introduce the book of Genesis, the first of those five books that we'll be reading. The book of Genesis is probably one of the most popular books in the entire Bible. And it's very important to the church, it seems, because there are an innumerable number of ministries dedicated solely to the purpose of upholding and defending the literal interpretation of the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. I can just list you some that I've got here. Answers in Genesis, the Creation Science Institute, Creation Ministries International, the Institute for Creation Research, Creation Science Evangelism, Creation Today, uh, Creation Network, the Creation Minute, etc., etc. There are so many creation-centered organizations, and this probably came out of the necessity to defend the faith in the wake of evolution, as evolution permeated the schools and textbooks, and as it permeated the um, really the public arena at large, Christians felt overwhelmed and under attack, and really it was a threat to their deepest and dearest convictions. Um, the world was telling them that they could no longer trust in the reliability of what the Bible said, since the Bible claimed that God was the creator and that human beings were made in his image, and now all of a sudden they're being told by the authorities of their day that man and woman evolved from primates, and that was how they came into being, not through the unique creation of God. And uh, so Christianity had some work to do if they wanted to stand up against these attacks. And so many people rose to the occasion, and many scientists had began the process of interpreting the data differently and showing how there were other ways that one might draw their conclusions from the scientific data, data available. And that's the reason we have all these organizations dedicated to the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Some of them have even said that the first three chapters of Genesis is the most crucial area of theology. While I believe that's an overstatement, I do certainly believe that it is a crucial area of theology. I don't think it's the most crucial because I don't think that what we believe about certain aspects of creation are essential to our salvation status. Uh, so if we believe that the earth is 6,000 years old, or if we believe that the earth is 10,000 years old, or if we believe that the earth is 10 million years old, those belief systems in and of themselves have no bearing on our eternal destiny. However, there are some doctrines that do have a bearing on our eternal destiny. For instance, in 1 John, he writes that whoever does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh is not born of God. So if you have this belief system that Jesus did not actually become a human being, that God did not become human, then you cannot be born of God. You cannot be a Christian, is what he is saying. So your view on that actually has an eternal consequence, whereas your view on the age of the earth does not in and of itself. However, what we believe about Christ is not completely separated from what we believe about the age of the earth. There are some connections, and so that's where I say it is a crucial area. It is worthy of consideration, and I believe this is probably true of every 
um, doctrine or every area and aspect of theology um, because they're all connected. What you believe about one will determine what you believe about the next. And if you get one wrong, it will often lead you to come to wrong conclusions about the other. So if your doctrine of creation is full of holes and errors, then your doctrine of Christology could be full of holes and errors. It's kind of like a puzzle. If you force one piece in that's wrong, it's not the right piece. It doesn't go there. But you shove it in, you make it fit. Well, then the next piece that you put on is going to connect to the wrong piece. And now you're starting to develop a part of the puzzle that doesn't go in that area. And so the whole thing's going to end up all messed up at the end. Yeah, you might get certain corners right. If you start putting in pieces on the other side and the other side of the frame, you might end up getting half the picture right. But eventually, you're going to come to a point where it's just not going to go together. You're going to have to do a lot of forcing and some of us do that with our theology. And so that's why I think it's important that we get it all right. And obviously we don't. None of us get it all right. But to the best of our ability, we need to be seeking truth. Truth is always a worthy endeavor. And so when we come to Christology in the New Testament, if we have already got a faulty presupposition regarding creation and all of the questions that are answered in the first three chapters of Genesis, then we might not come to the right conclusions about Christ, and that may be eternally devastating. It may be that we do not experience the saving grace of salvation that is available to us because we have not properly understood who we are, who God is, what our condition is, and why we need a Savior. And because of that, we draw the wrong conclusions about Jesus. Um, so Genesis 1 through 3 answers some questions that really frame up our view of reality. And what you view about reality, what you view as the way the world works and how things are in their existence— will determine what you say in your heart about Jesus when he is portrayed to you by the New Testament text. And so the questions that are answered in Genesis are, what are we? Genesis tells us what we are. It tells us that we are made by God. We are creation. We are not the gods of this universe. We are the creation of the universe. And therefore, we are subject and answerable to God, who is our creator. It tells us that we are uniquely made, separate from the rest of creation. Um, and so God made man distinct from the animals, and he even put them over the animals, and he gave them um, job descriptions related to the animals to, to supervise, to overlook, to have dominion. There are, there are many ways you could interpret that, but these are the... the job responsibilities and duties of the first man and the first woman. And so if we ignore that, if we ignore what we are and whose we are, then we will come to the wrong conclusions when we get to the topic of Jesus Christ. Where do we come from? Well, I think we talked about that a little bit. We come from God. He is our creator. What are we here for? What is our purpose? If you don't know the answer to that question, and if Genesis doesn't frame that up for you, then you're going to miss out on an opportunity to explore how Jesus is the restorer of your purpose that is lost. Uh, which brings us to the final question that I'd probably want to talk about today, and that's what is sin and does it affect me? 
If you don't take Genesis 1 through 3 seriously and you don't interpret it correctly, then you may miss one of the most crucial aspects of theology proper, and that's the doctrine of sin. There's a word for the doctrine of sin. It's called homardiology, the study of sin, homardiology. If your homardiology is erroneous and full of holes and full of errors, you are going to really misconstrue Christ in your Christology. You're not going to properly understand what he does for you. You're not going to understand why he came for you if you don't understand the sin situation. And that's where I think Genesis 1 through 3 really needs to be upheld. The debate over the age of the earth is probably important in some ways. Like I said, truth is all connected. And the debate over whether or not dinosaurs lived with Adam and Eve or not is important because it's truth. But I don't think those are nearly as important and nearly as significant, and they don't have nearly the consequences that the debate over whether or not there is historically a moment where sin came into the world, because I think that idea of sin coming into the world is so closely attached to who Jesus is and why he came, that to miss that is to miss Christ. And so for some who have come to the book of Genesis, they have interpreted it in such a way, or they've either denied it or they've interpreted it in such a way that it denies the historicity of an Adam and an Eve. And when you deny the historicity of Adam and Eve, you actually are denying the concept of original sin and federal headship. See, the Bible makes it clear that under Adam all died because Adam is our federal head. It's kind of like if a king of a country or a president of a country does something that is threatening or is uh, sinful against another sovereign entity, another country, they will condemn that country. They don't just condemn the leader, they condemn the country because the country is represented by that leader. They are the head of that country. And so they won't think twice about dropping a bomb and blowing up a bunch of people, even though those people didn't say anything or make any decision, they're just under the headship of that leader or that king. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to humanity and its relationship with God. Adam is the federal head, and he sinned. And when he sinned, all of creation sinned. All humanity sinned forevermore. We are all linked to Adam. We are all connected to Adam, and in him, all have sinned. You can go to Romans 5, verse 12, and it tells you that explicitly, that in Adam, because Adam, all die, all sinned, and all sin has led to death. But then it goes on to say that there is a, a new avenue one might take, a new path, and that's to put on a new head. So we can actually remove ourselves from that head. It's kind of like in that scenario I gave where one country violates another country and the head is the one who did the violating, but yet now the whole country is under condemnation from the, the uh, country that's been attacked. Well, if one really didn't like what was going on and they really didn't like the fact that they were being accused of what their head did, they could transfer citizenship, and they could move to the new country, and they would make a new king or a new emperor or a new president or a new government their head. And in doing so, they've removed themselves from 
this country or nation that is under attack from the one who felt that they were violated. And that's what Christianity is about. We, under Adam, are in a sinful state. We have suffered from depravity that we have inherited, and it's causing us to be under the condemnation of God. God is going to judge us. He's going to hold us guilty and in violation of his holy code as long as we stay under Adam as our federal head. But we can be born again. And when we're born again, we're born into a new family tree. A new uh, headship is put over us. And so we remove ourselves from Adam as our head, and we put ourselves under Christ. So Romans 5 makes this clear. In Adam, all die, but in Christ, all are made alive. So any who have moved themselves from Adam to Christ through the new birth are freed from condemnation. They are no longer under the headship of condemnation, but are now under the headship of freedom and communion with God. If you deny that Adam and Eve were literal people, if you chalk Genesis 1-3 through up as myth or legend or as an analogy, a metaphor for humanity then you also dismiss the doctrine of original sin and federal headship. And when you dismiss those, then you have a very weak Christology. When you get to the New Testament, you have a very, very weak Christology because headship is central. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the head over his body, the church. And you don't know how to reconcile that. You don't know how to make sense of that doctrine without the federal headship of Adam, which means there had to be an actual Adam who actually sinned. I find it quite humorous that in recent years, secular science has embraced the idea through genetic research that there was a first man and a first woman. Prior to that, I think they believed that Humanity evolved in different pockets around the world, so you had several sets of first human beings from different regions. But through this research and through science, they are now beginning to say that there was a primordial Adam and primordial uh, Eve that were the parents of all nations and all people as we know them, the, the human species, came from this one set of humans. And they're not embracing the biblical narrative. They're still refusing to say that there is a God, but I do find it funny that we now have overlapping truths on this one uh, area. And so two worldviews are colliding in so many uh, specific points, but on the topic of there being a first man and a first woman, we are now in agreement uh, for the most part. We'll conclude our conversation today by talking about what a reading of Genesis could reveal about our value system. Uh, I believe the way we interpret Genesis 1 through 3 can speak directly to the way that we process things theologically, and it can also in, uh, speak to our hermeneutical processes as well. If we allow science and philosophy to dictate how we interpret Scripture, rather than allow Scripture to dictate how we see the philosophies of our day, and the science of our day, then that certainly shows us 
who rules the roost. It's not wrong to use our experiences and the things we can observe in science and in the other disciplines um, like math and such to come to conclusions about what the Bible means if they're just used as tools. But to trust in them above and beyond what the Bible clearly says is true, that's when we have supplanted God and His Word for the wisdom of mankind. And you're making a choice at that point of what you trust, who you trust. And so I would just warn and caution the reader of Scripture to allow the Bible to be the prevailing voice in your life and to interpret it in such a way that you trust it above whatever science may say. The interesting thing about science is it's always changing. The interesting thing about philosophy is that it's always changing. Things that are good today were evil before, and the things that are evil today were good before, and it will continue to change, and it will continue to be shaken up. Um, But God's Word does not change, and so it is of greatest value to us that we uphold Scripture as God's communication to us as human beings so that we can understand Him and that we can uh, respond to Him. And to put any other voice as the prevailing voice over and above Scripture is to reduce God to nothing. And so keep that in mind as you read through Genesis and all the books of the Bible. And we'll continue this topic of Genesis in our next Bible Brush Up podcast. See you then.